You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This is Sunday Skate with Scott McLaughlin and Andrew Razor Raycross. Brought to you by Shaw's and Star Market. Perfecting the art of fresh on WEEI. Football season's over. Hockey season, four months in, but Sunday yes. skate just getting started. I'm Scott McLaughlin, your host. Andrew Razor Raycroft is back. Bridget Prue's back. She's in studio with us now. We got Nico behind the glass producing. How's everyone doing? It's been a, it's been a while. It's been it a while. Has. Thank God football's over. <laughs> this place looks different than I remember it. <laughs> Dirtier. It's a little dirtier. <laughs> Messier. Yeah, I'm sitting over here among the spoons and, yeah. and smelling salts and no, uh, open bags of chips. <laughs> There's some knives over it's here. It's unbelievable. It looks, it, looks like looks a- like, it looks like someone had a really good party in here last night. It looks like my dorm in college, like after I really, you know, hit it hard on a Friday night and woke up Saturday and, and this is just what I just left some spoons random places and, and bags of chips open. Yeah, well, we we know it was not the Bruins having having a party. Uh, we're picking this up at quite the interesting point in the Bruins season, guys, because they have lost four in a row, five out of six since the All Star break, all on home ice. So let's start with uh, with a little bit of a vibes check. Just Razor, how are you feeling about the Bruins? What's your concern level right now after another blown lead and an overtime loss to the Los Angeles Kings on Saturday? Well, my concern level isn't that high still. Um, I typically, I'm optimistic. Typically, I'm a little bit of a homer with this crew. Um, <laughs> more more than anything because they they haven't shown us a reason not to worry that they'll find a way out of it, certainly in the regular season over the last 10 years, 15 years, 12 years. So it's um, – it, it, and the other thing is, too, is – you watch a lot of hockey around the rest of the National Hockey League, and there's a lot of teams that go through this, and this happens to Colorado. We would suspect 
all say that are a very good hockey team, they're doing the exact same thing right now. Their wheels are spinning. Um, they've got some injuries. They're they're not playing. They're not scoring. It's just not perfect. So they're, the, the issue with the Bruins is some special teams. Penalty kills, not good enough. Power play hasn't been good enough. You get four on threes in overtime. You got to score. Like those, all these situations, like you could back yourself into them winning the last four in a row. You really could in situations where um, they hit nets or they, they take advantage of opportunities. They haven't done that in the past 10 days. And, and it doesn't feel great because you lose four in a row. But um, it would be a lot worse if they were two points behind a wild card. Then there's panic. Right now they're in a pretty good spot. We're all going to compare them to what they do in the playoffs as well. So this might um, motivate and make the deadline a little more intriguing because they might need something a little more than what they thought of a month and a half ago. That's a good point. And we're also going to compare them to what they did last year. Correct. So when you compare them to what they did last year, you know, they didn't really face adversity. And when when we talked to some of the players after the game, I, I know Charlie McAvoy had mentioned this um, a few losses ago. It was after one of those tough losses, maybe Washington or um, Calgary. But he mentioned that you got to go through this this stuff in the season, and 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 you do have to learn where your holes are and and find ways to fix them. And is that something you can do internally, or does this push the management to to do more at the trade deadline? You you hope it does because there are holes in this team right now that. I think you need to address and and they're showing. So uh, it should be pretty obvious that this isn't going to be like a a no deadline move, which I don't think there's really much precedent for Don Sweeney to not do that much at the deadline. But it's good that it's showing with plenty of time to make some phone calls, you know, figure out the personnel and what you're willing to give up and and who you want to target. Yeah, we we know Don Sweeney has always added at the trade deadline. Uh, He's taken some big swings in years past. It will be a challenge to do that this year with their lack of assets between not having many draft picks, not having a ton of high-end prospects, uh, even moving guys off the roster that other teams might be interested in. Um, you know, they have some pending free agents. A rebuilding team isn't going to be interested in those guys, so that presents challenges. Uh, but, Bridget, you're right. They do have some some holes, and, and we'll get into those. For me... I think, first off, it's important to differentiate between some of these losses because the first two after the break, and there was the blowout win over Vancouver in there as well, still the only win on this homestand so far. But Calgary and Washington, those were complete no-shows. Those were just absolute stinkers. Like, they got booed and, and in my mind, kind of deserved it. Like, those were bad efforts. The last three have not been that. In fact, Tampa and Seattle, I thought they played pretty well and really controlled long stretches of those games. The Kings' loss on Saturday worries me a little more because you saw some things that have been ongoing issues that have continued to pop up that they haven't really seemed to rectify, and one of them is closing out games. They lead that game 3-1 late in the second period, 4-3 late in the third period, and they can't get it done. They let the Kings come back. They give up a goal late in the second. Give up the tying goal early in the third. And then they bounce right back. Great response. Trent Frederick scores. Gets them the lead back. Get late into the third period. And Pavel Zaka takes an offensive zone penalty. We can debate whether it was holding, whether it's two guys battling for the puck. Regardless, you don't like those offensive zone penalties. They just about kill it off. It's a six-on-four situation, and somehow Anche Kopitar gets wide open in front of the net. 
right after Derek Forbert couldn't clear the zone. We'll get into Derek Forbert because I thought he had a he had a rough game, and that's one of those spots. You know, you wonder if you're looking to upgrade. Uh, and then in overtime, not scoring on the power play is one thing, and then just the game management from David Pasternak to try to force a pass just as the power play is expiring that gets picked off and taken the other way for the breakaway winner. And on the season now, they're 24-1-6 when leading after two. And you hear that and you think, well, hey, there's only one regulation loss in there. That's not so bad, right? Well, the seven losses when leading after two tied for the most in the NHL. Their winning percentage when leading after two periods ranks 24th in the NHL. And the eight teams below them are all out of the playoff picture. So they have been the out of the teams in the playoffs right now. They have been the worst at closing out games when leading after two periods. That to me is a legitimate concern. Uh, by the way, you can join us. Call in 617-779-7937. Text in 37937. So far, no mean texts. Just taking a look they're you know, with it. that's good they're yes they're, they're not here well, yet they're, we they're, do have a, we do have a caller that uh but but razor being able to close out games this continues to pop up with this team where they're just not getting the job done in the third and then i i get that overtime is kind of its own separate issue and you're not going to be playing three on three in the playoffs so it's Thank almost God. like who, who cares but it's still just some of the the decision making in those situations and just like lack of of awareness at times i think it goes back to last season too right them not closing out game six and technically not closing out game five and not closing out game seven i, I mean that's why they didn't win the playoff series last season and and possibly the stanley cup if you back in into what they would have the run they could have gone on with the team that they had they didn't close out and we have all the reasons and all the excuses for why they lost last season but the reality is they had leads in all three games in the third period. So that's why they lost last season because they couldn't close out games and it's happening again. It happened right at the start of this season. It's kind of been the only consistent theme realistically. That's an issue for this team is closing out. And I don't know if it's a a physical thing or if it's a mental thing, that's, that's the, that's what makes it concerning, I suppose is because you can't really put a finger on why it's happening. Um, they win faceoffs in their own zone and they lose games. They lose faceoffs in their own zone and they make get, get big saves and they still lose games. There's all these all these different areas and ways that they they've done it. And yesterday was another way that that they kill the six on four off essentially. But they they have a you know they make a poor decision. They they don't go weak side rather they go strong side and 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 it ends up in the back of the net. So yes. These are these are issues. Um, the penalty taking is an issue, um, but they should be able to fix it, right? They, like they should be able to fix it, and and that's that's kind of where I go to. I don't think they have a great attitude about overtime. Um, that seems pretty clear. That and and fine, you're allowed to not have a bad attitude if you're first or you know barely out of first in in the NHL. Um, you can have that, but. But if it if it gets down to it near the end and you need a point or two, you want to find a way to do that in overtime. So yeah, that's that is it. The, the closing out it, it really is the most concerning part because you feel like everything else will, will will be able to find a way and level out whether it's PP PK those kinds of things. 
If it was three on three overtime in the playoffs, I would not bet on this team to make it out of the first round. That's how they've been doing in, in three on three overtime this season. I think that you're right, Razor. The attitude going into it is it just they don't take the right mentality. It's about possession. And you see some like like you mentioned with Pasternak forcing a pass that those are the kind of plays they've been making. Not not the easiest plays, not the just wait, be patient plays. They're turning it over, and that's how they end up getting scored on in overtime. You And they have great goaltending, but it's hard to stop a, a clear breakaway, and that happens a lot in overtime when it's three-on-three because three, there's so much ice, and one pass picked off at the point just goes so quickly the other way. Yeah, and and David Poslin, in overtime specifically, like, it often feels like he's at the, the center of it because, one, he's going to play. You want him on the ice in three-on-three situations because he's so talented. And, two, because he, more than anyone, he has the green light to to try to force things, to try to try some things that other guys don't have permission to try. And you, you saw the good and bad of it in that overtime yesterday where I think it was even his first shift of overtime. He tried to take a defenseman one-on-one and got broken up. And, Bridget, to your point about possession, it's like, that's not a possession play. Even if you're David Pasternak, you shouldn't really be trying to drive one-on-one in overtime. Well, then, at- then he tries dangling to the middle, and he makes a great play and draws a penalty. And it's like, oh, well, that's why you let him do it, because he can do that. And, but then you get that pass at the end. So it's like, yeah, the, the you're going to have to live with some bad. But at times this year for, for Pasternak, it's... It's, it's come back to bite the Bruins in, in overtime specifically. Well, when you look at successful teams in overtime, though, you, you notice that they 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 don't have that, like, force it mentality. Even in, in college hockey, I watch it a lot. And teams are some sometimes more likely or, or they want to not do anything risky, and they, they'd rather just go to the shootout. Like, I, I've seen teams just, you know, play. It's, it's annoying. I don't like it. But they'll play the puck back. They'll wait. They'll regroup. Try to get a little rush shoot only and only do what's conservative and then just kind of wait for the shootout. I, I don't like that about three on three hockey. I know a lot of people don't, but that's more of a common approach than what the Bruins have been doing this season. The other thing too, right? Why this is all a little bit of this is coming up different ways is because it's all happening at home. I think we all have to take a big step back. There's a lot of people that don't necessarily catch the games when they're on the road. They're not quite as invested when the games are on the road Typically, you don't have a seven-game homestand when you struggle. Uh, afternoon games when everyone's got their family there. Um, actually booing at games because they've gone to three in a row and they haven't seen a win. Like This stuff does. This is adding to this a little bit and adding to us um, hitting the panic button a little bit more than probably is necessary from everybody because it is happening at home. It's happening during the day when everyone is able to watch or see or catch highlights by, by the night. Uh, this team's going to go out west, and if they had a loss three of all three games, uh, three or four, when they go to Seattle, Edmonton, Calgary, no one would have seen it. No one's watching. No one would have paid attention. Oh, they're out. It's okay. So that and that and the other thing that's that's interesting to me when I listen to the narrative is now everyone's talking about results, right? It's all about results now. Whereas when they were 10-0 and 0 to start the season, it's, well, they're not really playing the right way. Well, the goalies are barreling them out. Well, they're getting lucky. This isn't going to last forever. So everyone's kind of changed the narrative on whether it's, does it result, is this results-driven or is it how they're playing-driven? Um, and I, I haven't really got that answer yet because, to your point, they played pretty good. They should have won it. Seattle. I mean, they missed three open nets, five posts. They dominated that game. They should have beat Tampa. Vasilevsky was great. 
Um, this one, yes, they should have closed out, but they 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 scored enough goals. So it, it's not, uh, you know, and again, the narrative going into yesterday, well, they haven't scored a lot of goals. Well, they scored four goals against a decent defensive team yesterday. So it, it's just interesting how I think the goalposts are getting a little, moved a little bit on this team because we want to get on them because they screwed up in the playoffs last season and then they started this season 10-0 and when they weren't supposed to be that good. So we haven't had a chance collectively to get on these guys and and now we have it. And I think we're we're dumping pretty good on them when they're still in a, a very good position in the National Hockey League. And I, I just, before we hit the break, I want to ask you, because I have a different opinion about this than Scott and our co-host on the skate pod, uh, Brian DeFleece, and that is that I do not like the booing. Um, like, put it all in context. It's no, not that it's, I, no, it's no. not that I like the booing. It's I think <laughs> there's it times that it's justified. Okay, but they're they were in first place when you're booing them. Like, and I I I just I want to hear your perspective. It's aggressive. On it. The booing is aggressive. Now, I I it's it's what we do. I think nowadays uh, as the society that we live in, uh, to to expect hockey fans to try and encourage their team when they're playing poorly is pie in the sky. Um, but yeah, that that's, I guess that's what I'm saying. Like this team has 75 points. They have still have the least amount of regulation losses in the national hockey league. They've got the, they've played 55 games, only 12 times. They haven't got a point there. There's literally 30 other teams that would love to have that number. So we're very spoiled here. And I think we've lost sight of that when this team loses a few in a row because it's the same people complaining. We're the same people. Well, we want to see this team get adversity this year. Well, that's what we're. You can't have both. You can't have all of it. Um, and and that's where I know the players are saying, "Take a deep breath. We're, we'll figure this out." And and that that doesn't absolve them of the things that need to get better and the things that they need to work on and, and some of the deficiencies that this roster has. And again, we'll get into all that. I think it's just, I want to try and not be the, the guy who dumps all of the trash on this, on this team, because that that's probably not fair either. Yeah. We will get into some of those roster deficiencies areas. We think they should address. We'll get to the phone lines again. You can call in 617-779-7937. Text us 37937. We'll be back right after this. You're listening to Sunday Skate on WEEI. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You know, it, uh, we added to our problems today, you know. Um, we had breakdowns that shouldn't be happening. Um, within our structure, and then also just game management, you know. 
you got to close out a game. You're up twice in the third period, and we don't close it out. So, And then, you know, in the overtime, our power play's got to put it away. We didn't. Yeah, the Bruin, Bruins had chances. He's right. That is a game they should win. Multiple times you're thinking, okay, they're going to they're gonna end their losing streak here, and they just can't close it out. Uh, again, this is Sunday Skate. I'm Scott McLaughlin, joined by Andrew Razor Raycroft and Bridget Prue. You can join in, 617-779-7937, and we'll go to the phones now. Of course, our first call of the season is from Maria from Watertown. Good morning, Maria. Good morning and welcome back. I'm, um, d- you know, despite this um, dreadful homestand, I'm, I'm glad to have another uh, avenue to talk uh, Bruins hockey. So uh, let, let me ask you all this. You know, I, I thought I saw some good things yesterday um, in, in that game. You know, I, I thought their breakouts coming out of their own end um, were good. Charlie McAvoy seemed much more active offensively. Um, I thought that fourth line brought good energy. But here, here's my question. that You know, the definition of insanity is basically doing the same thing time and time again. And these breakdowns that we keep seeing keep happening over and over again. So how does a coaching staff address this with, with this team? And it, it's, not, it's not just the young guys. The, these are veteran players, core players that are making these egregious mistakes. And, and I, I don't understand why it continues to happen. And, you know, Montgomery said it yesterday, the lack of an ability to close out, which is a continuation of what burned them in the playoffs last season, which doesn't make me warm and fuzzy about any playoff scenario that might need to go into a six or seven game series. So what, what needs to change, or can they change this, or is this the team that we expected to see all season long, and the beginning of the season was a bit of an anomaly? And with regard to the booing, I'm, I'm fine with booing your team. I don't boo when I'm in the building, but when you watch what fans saw in the Calgary game and the Capitol game, I'm sorry, fans have a right to boo their team so thank thank you for the time and and again welcome back guys yeah then thank you maria yes thank you and i'm, I'm outnumbered again <laughs> once again <laughs> well yeah. like like to me as far as the booing goes it you have to differentiate but again between the losses like i'm fine with it in the calgary and washington games because fans are paying a lot of money to go to these games bruins have some of the highest ticket prices in the nhl Every game sold out. Fan support's always there. And you at least expect an honest effort. And I think in those two games, you didn't get that. Now, if you were booing in the Tampa or Seattle games, or even even yesterday, like I get there's going to be a, a few boos at the end of a blown lead. But you at least got a pretty good effort all around in those games. So that that's different to me. Um, to Maria's other point about, how do you fix this? And is this just who the Bruins are? Razor, you, you said last segment, you know, it should be fixable. I think there's been times this year where it's looked like they were fixing it. Uh, before the All-Star break, they had a stretch there where they were closing out games and even extending leads and, and putting teams away. But it keeps popping back up. So at, at some point, like, it actually has to happen. And, you know, we're, we are getting pretty late on here in the season. 
Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, it does. It, it needs to... You can't lose six, seven, eight in a row. I mean, it's it's not good for business. It's not good for um, where the team is, and it's hard to pull yourself out of it because of the bad habits that that build up within that. Um, again, I, I I just go back like they they've still got seventy five points. I, I just keep going back to that. I, I just really go back to the fact that there's only two teams that have more points than them in the entire league. So. That that's kind of where it starts and ends. It would be it would be so much easier to go on and on about this if they had sixty seven points and they were only five or six points up on a wild card and they're in the playoffs. Yes, but they're not really doing it the right way and they could get caught. And that's that. I guess that's where I just keep running into the wall where it's um, hard to nitpick too much. And and I you know yes, right now they're they're not closing out games. And yes, at the start. Or the losses that all of the losses that they've had, they haven't closed out games. Um, you know, I just got this game log up, and I'm just looking like it's all the losses, all the red is overtime shootout, um, fairly close games beyond the beyond the dump against Washington. Because uh, even the Calgary game, they had the five on four for five minutes in the third period in a two one game. Um, I know they scored a, an ugly one late. Calgary did, but that game's winnable all the way through. Completely winnable. As bad as they played, that game's two to one. They have a five minute power play, and then they take a too many men on the ice. So these games are like this isn't like um, this isn't Tampa Bay losing nine to two last night. Like we think Tampa Bay is a good team. They lost nine to two at home last night to Florida. So it's just kind of the way the league is right now. It's very even. No one's dominant, and losses are are teams are winning and coming from behind in the third period. So. Yes, the Bruins have to figure it out. Yes, they have to clean it up. Um, but they 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 haven't given us a reason. This group, even this season, hasn't given a reason to to make us think that they won't figure it out. Yeah, and to her question, it was the good start an anomaly. No, I don't think so. Like I No, I, not now. We played fifty five no, games. We're we're into it to the point where we have seen and that question has been answered with play. Um, especially right before the all-star break that was like, okay, this is what the team can be. This, this is a good stretch. And um, that's the kind of hockey you want them to be playing again as the playoffs are approaching and in the playoffs. But um, no, I don't, I don't think it's an anomaly. And I, and the, the real question was uh, what she, she had written in the call screener was, uh, is this the team we thought they were going to be? Cause obviously when we started the year, they didn't have Bergeron back. They didn't have Krejci back. They, they Taylor Hall got traded away. Felino gone. Like, there were a lot Clifton gone, whether you like them or not. Um, there were just a lot of different um, personnel moves that that because of retirement had to get moved, and and we didn't think they'd be in first place. So I don't I don't think anybody can be super mad if they if they go into the playoffs in in second place, which is kind of more where they were they were looking like they would be. Uh, but even if they were first, that wasn't in, that's not because they're outperforming what they can do. I think this team really does have. Um, the talent on it and and the ability to be first place. Yeah, I think if anything was an anomaly, it, it would just be the fact that I think it was like through 15 games they were at or even ahead of last year's pace. Like that was an anomaly. They they weren't going to be as good as last year, so that part of it was never really accurately reflecting the kind of team they were. But well, you didn't think they were going to go uh, 150 <laughs> points. <in the laughs> yeah. <track>. Yeah. <laughs> um, but them being where they are now, yeah, no. Like we're too deep into the season to think it's an anomaly. And I know 
you know, I, l- listen, I, I said I have some issues with yesterday's loss. I'm not a sky is falling guy, though. <laughs> like, the, the fans who are like, you know, oh, they, they had a good run, but, like, you know, season's over or whatever. They should just be looking to next year. And it's like, no, c- come on, guys. Like, you're, you're still in it. You know, didn't we learn last year that no matter who looks like the best team going into the playoffs, anything can happen? So, sure, we, we can sit here right now, and I can tell you the Florida Panthers look like the best team in the Eastern Conference. I yeah. don't even think there's really that much of an argument, given how they've been playing recently. Razor, you mentioned Tampa losing 9-2. That was to Florida. Um, they're on a roll. Doesn't mean they're they're unbeatable. <laughs> you know, it doesn't mean, like, if you're the Bruins, you just go, oh, well, we can't beat the Panthers, so, you know, forget it. Like, yep. no, you, you keep working towards it. And, yeah, if you go in – first or second in the division ultimately i don't even really think that matters you look at how the rest of it's playing out it's like what matchup are you playing for you know like you might get tampa or toronto either way you might get you know last year you got the eight seed, but it was a panthers team that got red hot down the stretch going into the playoffs if it was only the penguins and, and right yeah if it was only the penguins we the, we wouldn't be having to talk about well, the first round exit that, probably again that's how crazy it is too. go to just go to Pitt, florida right now what if Bobrovsky's just half as good as he was in the last three games in the series this season coming in like i think florida's better than they were last year oh like they got ekman larson on the back end who's rejuvenated they're they're a better team than they were going into the playoffs last season. I, I don't that I don't think that really can be questioned, especially now the way they're playing. But can Bobrovsky be as good as he was last season? In the last three games against Boston, in the four games against Toronto, the four games against Carolina, can he be that good again? So so yes, that that if he isn't, then they're not as dangerous, even though they're a better team. So all of these things, like it, it's not yeah, it's it's just not sky is falling at this point. And, and that does not absolve the Bruins from needing to get a whole lot better. Because no matter what it is in the first round, it's going to be hard. Even if they're first overall in the Eastern Conference, it's going to be hard. We saw that last season. It's not The first round is crazy hard. You need a good matchup. You need to get the teams timed perfectly. And and it's it's going to be a absolute... You have to play almost perfect in the first round. You really do in the NHL playoffs nowadays. And especially this year, because no one's going to separate themselves. It's not going to be an arms race because you can't make a lot of moves. And it, it it's going to be really difficult. So just be ready for it as a team and, and find a way to get better through this, this bad time. Yeah, and I think this is a good time to talk about what those holes might be that they have to fill in order to match up against uh, those teams we're talking about, like Florida. And I know the main criticism last playoffs was they weren't tough enough against Florida in in that first round matchup. So uh, we can kind of get into what are the needs of this Bruins team? What are they lacking? And also, what do they have the ability to go out and get? Yeah, I think I think there's a need up front and a need on defense, and I don't know if they're going to be able to address both. But if you start up front, last night Montgomery makes line changes that get the third and fourth lines going. The bottom six have been quiet since the All-Star break. He moves Trent Frederick back down to the third line. You go back to kind of that jumbo third line of Van Riemsdyk, Geeky, Frederick. They get on the board. Your fourth line of Richard, Lauko, Bogfist, that finally gets on the board. Anthony Richard scores his first goal as a Bruin. The trade-off there is that you end up moving Danton Heinen onto your second line with Martian and Coyle, and that line was quiet. And as much as I like Danton Heinen and as much as he's 
been a steal for this team coming in on a, on a PTO and playing on the league minimum. I don't think he's on your second line in the playoffs. That's that's not ideal. Um, so I think they're forward short because you can move someone up from that third line again, but then you potentially create that third line question again that you were just dealing with. On defense, I question the left side of this defense. Matt Grizzlick has had an inconsistent season. I think he's played a little better over, say, the last month. Um, but that remains a question. We know the Bruins have not trusted him in the playoffs in the past. Derek Forbert has dealt with injuries this year, has been inconsistent since coming back. I think he had a really rough game on Saturday in particular. So you got to nail down that left side of your defense. And whether that's through internal improvement, guys, you know, finding their stride, giving guys a chance to play through it or external improvement because you just need a personnel upgrade. I look at both of those areas and think you have to at least upgrade one of them. It might not be realistic to do both. Eh, I, they they don't have a ton. It's the first round, right? And listen, I, I bang the drum. I'll, I'll, I won't ever stop banging the drum that who cares about a first rounder that's in the bottom 20. I, it, but the Bruins just don't have them. Um, it would be great to get rid of them. I, I wish they had one to get rid of for any of these guys that, that we're talking about um, when it comes to National Hockey League players. Does Now, left shot D is tough, right? There's not as many left shot Ds. Does Parker Witherspoon, has he done enough to be able to get moved over to the left as a left shot? And you get a right shot defenseman, whether it's a Carrier or a Tanit, like there's just more of them. There's there's more options, which means you're not going to have to pay as much. That's more what I'm thinking is the left shot guy is going to command a lot because there's only one or two of them. The right shot, there's a few more. Maybe you can get rid of your second rounders and third rounders and maybe get rid of a couple of prospects. Um, I think you're probably at the point where you can get rid of one or two of these guys. They're not all going to make it. We saw that with a few of them already this year. Um uh, so so yeah, I agree. You need to you need to find a way to add on the back end. Um, you just do just I and, and not more just as much as anything, just to shake it up a little. I feel like it almost needs a bit of a shake up. And, and I'm usually not a shake up guy, but it feels like over the last two years there hasn't been a lot of injury. Like they've played pretty consistently together, but we we've kind of been saying the same thing the whole time and none of that's really changed and then I think we see it we, we they need another winger somewhere up front um and, and you know you just create like a Nick Dowd right like even if it's a guy like that it doesn't even have to be um if it's not going to be a high-end just random score which just isn't typically the Bruins way of doing it I I I like thinking about Tarasenko's of the world kind of coming in and just being that guy, but it's just not the Bruins' mo. Um, they've never done it that way. I I think it could work on a certain level. Uh, someone like that that just comes in and, and shoots the puck a lot, but it's not the Bruins' way. I don't really think that's the way. And, and a Nick Dowd type guy kind of fits the mold more than than the other way for me. Uh, Scott, you were you were mentioning to me on the skate podcast that right now the the market for doubt is like it, it's too high above well, what the Bruins would want to pay. Yeah, the, the center market in general is just insane because the the two biggest names already got moved in Elias Lindholm and Sean Monahan, and they went for crazy. In my opinion, overpays on both. But hey, if if you decide you need a center, then I guess you overpay. Uh, but Frank Saravalli of 
Daily Faceoff, he said, I don't remember if it was on Twitter or like one of his shows or something, that he would be surprised if Nick Dowd did not get the Capitals a first round pick. Yeah. That like that's crazy. Nick Dowd is a really solid fourth line center, can play a little bit of wing. He's a shutdown guy. Like he has an identity, he has a role to play. But uh, like, it's because he has. Th- it's because can... he has term. He has yeah, one three next year. He does, so it, yeah. And again, the, the the team that trades that gives up their first rounder is a good team. So they're giving up the twenty sixth overall pick. You're giving up John Beecher for it. You're yeah. giving up like it's not. You're not giving up Macklin Celebrini or <laughs> you know Connor Bedard for him. That that's that's where the first rounder comes in. Like the, go through the list and see how many top. The, the 20 to 32 guys in the last 10 years, how many of them are actually NHLers? There's not that many. Yeah. And that's where that first rounder comes in. That Washington will take it, and, and it's a depth play now. Yeah, I guess if, for me, if if I'm trading, the Bruins don't have their 2024 first. They do have their 2025. If I'm trading that, I, I'm just looking for someone who's playing a, a little higher in the yeah. lineup, making more of an impact. Like I've I've talked about him on the skate podcast, Jake Middleton in Minnesota, defenseman. Yeah really intrigues me. Now, I don't know if he's going to be available. Minnesota's out of it this year, but they probably expect to be in it next year. Yeah, he's a piece for them. He has a year left, so they might just want to keep him. So Yeah. No, and and listen, the 25th, sorry, just one more on the first rounder in 25. We don't know what that is. That could be higher, right? That could be higher. So that's a little bit different. You're not... You're not trading from uh, a, a, the same position of strength with thinking that that's not that high of a pick. So it, that that's a little bit different. It's hard to project what that number is going to be compared to if you had a first rounder right now, it's 29th overall. So that yeah. used to be a second rounder. Yeah. That used to be, it used to be a mid second rounder, right? Like you can go all the way back to like Patrice Bergeron. That's like the, you know, Mid second round after hey, all the expansion, with all, with all the talk about more NHL expansion, that might be a mid first. Yeah, that's right, it, exactly. <laughs> it's like literally like uh, the the value isn't the same. Yeah, sorry, when you, sorry when to you, interrupt. It's okay, and you just said that so Canadian. Um, yes, I like I, that. Yeah, I'm start come, I like, like when that. it comes out a little bit. <laughs> yeah, you're you're our one Canadian. You you make our uh, show more legit with the with Diverse. the the sorries and the yes. yeah. Um, I was going to actually bring up Middleton because this is a name, and as well as Pat Maroon who they're both on Minnesota. They're both players that, I mean, like you just said, Middleton might not be available. Pat Maroon, I don't see why he wouldn't be available. Um, And he's not going to garner a first-round draft pick. And I don't think you need to add a center, right? We're talking about maybe you need someone for the bottom six. It could be a winger. Mm -hmm, Um, And I, I don't think that it necessarily has to be a center that you have to give up anything too extreme for. And when we were talking about this on the podcast last week, it was... Okay, what if you? What if they're interested in taking Jacob Lauco for Pat Maroon, uh, one for one, or so, or something like that, so, or or even just like a middle or lower round draft pick? Because um, I could see the value that they would have in in Lauco. He's younger. He does a similar role. Maroon's contract is expiring. He's a rental. I think Lauco has one year left on his contract, and maybe with a with the intention to sign him and keep him as an option on in their bottom six for the future or, or where, whatever it might be. I think that's a good deal for the Bruins. I don't, I think Lauco is expendable in Boston. I think they might have more value than we, than, than the Bruins do here in Boston uh, for that. And, and the Bruins might find more value in Maroon. Yeah. I think, I think Maroon brings up a, a, an interesting topic that I know Bruins fans always love to get into, which is toughness and, and do they have enough? And, I want to get get to that on the other side of the break. I think that 
that'll be a good spot to also bring in the latest news on Milan Lucic, who we now know is not coming back this season. Uh, so you can, again, join us, call in 617-779-7937, text us at 37937, and we'll be back right after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now, more of the guys, Scott McLaughlin and Andrew Razor Raycroft. It's Sunday Skate on WEEI. More of the guys, really? Can we can we update these, please? I want my name in it. <laughs> more of the guys. All right, I guess I'm just one of the guys that, today. So. Guys. That's right. Get guys and girl. Pretty pretty here. We need to update that. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's, let's have the toughness discussion. Are are the Bruins tough enough? Because this is what a lot of fans go to. And I do think that there's some merit to it. Um, we know now that Milan Lucic is not returning this season. Uh, for anyone who missed it, his the, the case against him was dropped on Friday. Short time later, the Bruins announced that he will remain on indefinite leave from the organization for the remainder of the season. So that that door's shut. I, I think it had been shut for a while, honestly, but now it's officially shut. That is what they brought him in for. They thought, you know, they thought they might need that kind of veteran fourth liner who brings some toughness, some playoff experience. Bridget, you just brought up Pat Maroon's name. That's a guy who could bring some some similar traits. Um, I think this gets to, like, what are the Bruins looking for at the bottom of their roster? Do they think they need that? Or have they kind of shifted to they're going to try to get it done with more of a of a speed fourth line like what we saw yesterday where you have, you know, Anthony Richard, Jesper Bogvist, Jacob Lauko. That's that's a speedy fourth line that, you know, when they're pl- when they're on their game is going to make things happen by getting in quick on the forecheck, even if they're not necessarily landing the biggest hits. So Razor. Do they need toughness? Should they still be looking for that? Or has has the identity shift already happened and can they can they get by in a different way? Well, the issue with getting by in a different way is that we haven't seen a Stanley Cup winner do it differently. We've seen Stanley Cup winners for the last six years do it with big long defensemen that are can skate, you know, they're straight line skaters that move the puck well. Um, with bottom six that are big and strong and forecheck and have pace, uh, not water bugs. So, so until we see it one a different way, I think it's hard to to really get your head around it. It's such a copycat league. It, it's such a what what did these teams do to win league? And and it ha- it doesn't change. It's a battleship. It's a battleship. The league moves really slowly. So so it is hard to imagine a team winning with. With five guys that, and this isn't the Bruins. I'm just saying in general, with five or six guys that are under six foot, under 200 pounds, that don't forecheck hard, uh, that that just move the puck and, and buzz around. I 
I we haven't seen a team do that, and and it's hard to imagine a team doing it this season. Um, I don't think the Bruins are quite that. I don't think they're quite the Montreal Canadiens are right now, and what the kind of the way they're building their team. But I, you could always, I, you just saw it. We just keep saying it. It's a cliche, and it seems kind of lazy. But you can always use bigger, stronger, longer players, and and I think that the Bruins are are in that category. They're not, they're not built like Vegas is right now. They're not built like even Colorado is right now, or Florida, or um, Vancouver got a little like. You know, Dadanov, we saw him the other day. Like, he's kind of slow, but but he's big. Myers is kind of slow, but he's big. So are, are, is Vancouver built that way? We'll find out as well. But um, the, the top players, the top teams over the years have been big and long and strong, and it feels like the Bruins need one or two more of those guys. Yeah, and the good news is if we're talking about Pat Maroon, he, he fits that bill. He's tough. Um, he has more scoring upside than than Lauko or or even just name anyone on that fourth line right now. Like and Johnny Beecher obviously got sent down, so uh, because he wasn't producing Boquist, I'm not sure what he can do uh, in terms of scoring. We haven't seen him do all that much of it, and also he is not big. He is he's a small skilled player um, in that line, like you mentioned with Steen as well. They're they're more speed than uh, and skill than physical and and sometimes that just doesn't work if they don't overwhelm teams on the forecheck like razor was mentioning but the the good news about pat maroon is he is affordable for you and you are not like there's a lot of te- of players on different teams that are uh probably going to be sellers that are not going to be affordable to the bruins so that's why this this name keeps coming up because maroon is affordable not only is he tough I mean, he used to be a, a really great player. He's towards the back end of his career at this point. He still has more goals and points than than Lauko or Steen, or, you know, that have played a comparable amount of games, both in the 40-game the range. Um, and he has experience. He's a veteran in the league, which I feel like they could they could use in their bottom six. Like, who is the veteran of the bottom six group right now? There's there's really – I mean, James Van Riemsdyk, but he doesn't come across as this vocal leader. And, and he's big, but he – doesn't use his body the same way Pat Maroon does. Yeah, the, I think Van Reems like has some some leadership qualities, but again, he he also, if you don't go out and add a middle six winger, like he might end up having to play in the top six. So, uh, yeah, right now and he's not going to fight anyone, right? Uh, which well, so, I, don't, I don't think you need. Guys yeah, the to fight, fight in the, the playoffs fight as much. Happen. Yeah, it just but, doesn't happen. There's no fights anymore. But it is that that physical forecheck that's important though, because and. And the Bruins know it, right? Like, you look at some of their recent playoff losses, physical forechecks from their opponents have been key factors in those series. Certainly last year against Florida, with the number of turnovers down low that they were, they were able to force. If you go back, you know, Carolina, like, wasn't the most physical team in the world, but you get one huge hit from Svechnikov on Hampus Lindholm on the forecheck. Uh the Islanders were certainly a physical forechecking team the year they beat the Bruins. And we know Don Sweeney recognizes the importance of this because last year he went out and got Garnet Hathaway. And when talking about why he got him, said they needed he thought they needed someone to create some anxiety on the forecheck was his term. So they they know that Hathaway would be perfect again right now, huh? Like if, if that's like the guy, that's the guy Even, for me. Like, but you know, you're and and I don't know who that guy is, but but I think of Hathaway. But 
what's well, Hathaway didn't get the puck out in Game Seven. I was right? gonna say, you know, he, like he that's, went, a, he went a, even a, aside he, from it, that mistake, he, like he, he went a little quiet in that playoff. He did. Series, he didn't so. get in on the four check in the play. Yeah. Like so, like that's the 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 push and pull. You don't necessarily know how it's gonna play out and how it's gonna work. That that's beside the point. That's that's just a tangent. I went on. Sorry. Right, and, and there's there's always the element of. Uh, you know, he's still going to be able to get there on time, too. You know, Pat Maroon can throw a hit, but if it's a second and a half after the defenseman moved the puck, that's mm-hmm. not really doing a whole lot of good. So, you know, it, it would change the Bruins. Like, he would be bigger, stronger, more physical than anything else that they have on their fourth line right now. And obviously, it's three Stanley Cups of experience, which I don't discount at all. Um, but he's also not – he's certainly not a fast skater. Even as, in his prime, he wasn't. So – you would be losing something there, but I do think that's the kind of player to target. You know, personally, I think getting another score, someone who can round out your top nine is, is would be more pressing. That's also going to be more expensive though. So if you, if you end up having to settle someone who can help set an identity on your fourth line, uh, to me, definitely worth targeting. Uh, we're through hour one here on Sunday skate. We have two hours. We, we have a second two hour coming hours. up here. Yeah, that's going to be all season. Every Sunday, 9 to 11 a.m. Uh, hopefully till June. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully at least, one, hopefully at least later than last so year. so short. Yes. <laughs> it's like a week of playoffs. We're, that was we're it. Planning, we're planning like weeks and months of, of shows, and then all, all right. of a sudden it's like, Oh, well, I guess it's over. I have my Sunday calendar <laughs> book, 9-11, till middle of May. I, I went May 15th. I just did May 15th. I'm just not getting greedy, and I'll figure out the last three weeks if I need to. So that's minimum. <laughs> All right. You can join us, 617-779-7937. Text in 37937. There are some texts I want to get to after this break. So we'll be right back on the other side. This is Sunday Skate with Scott McLaughlin and Andrew Razor Raycroft. Brought to you by Shaw's and Star Market. Perfecting the art of fresh on WEEI. Welcome back to Sunday Skate. Hour two here. I'm Scott McLaughlin with Andrew Razor Raycroft and Bridget Prue. That's Trent Frederick talking about referencing the Bruins slump that they went into just before Christmas. Uh, the only other time this year that they lost four in a row, and they did pull. Now it took you know a little bit of a reset over Christmas break, but they did pull themselves out of it, and they actually went on a heater right after that, coming out of Christmas break. So they have done it. They have to do it now. Uh, it's not going to be an easy stretch, or you know, an easy game if we're just looking one game ahead to Monday. You have the red hot Dallas Stars coming in to close out this homestand, so. You know, there's there's no gimme game there. Stars are tough. Then you go out west. Calgary just beat you. Edmonton has really turned their season around after a slow start. Vancouver again. Seattle, who just beat you. Like, you know, it's not getting a whole lot easier for the Bruins. So it's it's going to come down to them playing the right way and finding a way to win some of these games because I, I don't think any of these opponents are going to hand them anything. So... Uh, I wanted to get to some of these texts, guys, and uh, we're talking about trade possibilities, and one of the biggest complicating factors is that the Bruins right now have virtually no salary cap space, so in order to add anything, you're going to have to move some money out somewhere, and 401 texter says, DeBrusque gone, Grizzly gone. I don't know if that happens, but it is an interesting conversation because 
Those are two pending free agents. Uh, as far as we know, you know, no contract extension on the horizon. DeBrusque has been on the record about wanting to get an extension done, but obviously it hasn't happened yet. So what do you guys do with those two? Because I, I mentioned, you know, Grizzlick's had a bit of an inconsistent season. So has DeBrusque. He started really slow, turned it on, played really good hockey for about two months, was producing, and now he's in another slump. I think it's eight games without a point. So how do you approach those two in particular? Well, it's hard to say what the value is. And and I, this goes to a league-wide issue, and, and I've talked about it a little bit. It's just – what are what are all these guys worth? I don't know. Um, who can make moves? How are they making moves? We we've only seen Calgary and Vancouver trade with each other basically since the trade deadline last season. We we've seen virtually nothing for a full twelve months in the National Hockey League, other than Calgary and Vancouver. So are 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 the deals that are still out there where you can trade away salary for Arizona to take that salary on for Anaheim to take salary on for a guy like DeBrusque for a guy like Grizzlick just as examples who are going to run out of their contract basically you trade a first rounder and Grizzlick to Anaheim for a player they take the salary they lose it they can rebuild they take the first rounder is that are those deals out there or is it have to be a hockey deal all the time? Does it have to be money in, money out? Um, that That's where it makes it really difficult to for me to answer these questions because I'm not quite sure if the Bruins can get rid of somebody just for salary reasons or they have to get rid of somebody that has the same salary coming back. And, and, if, and those are two big different scenarios that make it much more difficult to make these deals. And, and, and at the end of the day... Um, the 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 value that these teams put on the players that are actually in the room compared to what they're watching on video is always different than what we perceive as well. Yeah, and you have to be able to get someone that's an upgrade back. Like you can't just trade Jake DeBrusque out of your top six. And we're not- talking about needing more scoring. We're talking about needing more wingers. We're talking about needing more forwards. And yeah, you, like you, you, you that's. That that opens more holes. Exactly, you're 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 talking about needing to add there, not yeah. subtract there, and and you can even if you don't like Jake DeBrusque, I know he's been a polarizing player in Boston, but you you do need him, and and you know what his ceiling can be. You know he can score, and and he over the last few games he's looked pretty good. I mean, in that combination that they've had him in. Uh, on the first line, I mean, everybody looks good next to Pasternak, but... Um, well, no, yeah, I think we should defend Jake a little bit because even when he hasn't scored this season above all other seasons, he's contributed more so um, in his 200-foot game in, in different ways on the ice. And um, and and when he does score, this team wins. It, it, it's it, it's pretty simple. Like, the math's really simple. When it's Coil, when it's DeBrus scoring and, and getting points, they win. So, so to your point, Bridget, like they kind of need them and you need them to play well. Yeah. DeBrusque rounding out his defensive game has really raised the floor of his game to a a spot that it it just wasn't there before. Like if you go back to the days of Bruce Cassidy, healthy scratching him, when Bruce Cassidy would explain why it wasn't, he's not scoring. It was we're not getting the 200-foot game we need from him. His details are off. He's missing assignments in the D zone. It was all of that. Yeah. So that's there. That That is a credit to him. 
of course, you st- you do still need him to score. And I-, I do think he's been playing pretty well recently. He has 14 shots on goal in the last four games. You know, he's he's getting opportunities that they're, they're not going in. He's not the only guy on the team that that's been true for here over the last little bit. You know, that's, that's another part of it. No one likes to – you don't want to make excuses, but – Joey Decord had probably his best game of the season against you when you lost to Seattle, and he's he's had a terrific two month stretch here um, for the Kraken, North Andover native, local kid. Thursday may may have been his best ever yet, and happened to come against you. So, um, yeah, I listen. I'm not opposed to trading Jake DeBrusque, but it has to be for an upgrade. You, you can't you can't trade him away and downgrade your forward group like whatever. Whatever his faults might be, whatever the inconsistencies might be, the streakiness, we know when DeBrusque is on, he fits in your top six and helps you win hockey games. So unless you're finding someone who does that at an even higher level and more consistently who is also going to fit the way you play, uh, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And again, Razor, to your point, like where is he going? It's only going to be contenders that are interested in him. He's a pending yeah. free agent. He's a rental. So, you know, you're not you're not trading him to some rebuilding team to get their pending free agent because why would they – unless they're going to turn around and flip him in another deal. But, like, why why would they take him on? Yeah, that, the idea that you're going to get, like, three players for Jake DeBrusque, right? Like, you, if you are trading him, you need two, other, you need two guys back to, to fill that role and also fill the role that you're trying to add to. That's not, like – you're never getting that much. And I think that's the big thing with this deadline. And, and we've seen it is that I don't think teams are really going willy nil. Like they're not going to give a bunch of players out and, and for free, even if they are unrestricted, even if they're out of the playoffs, like it, it just seems as though it's, there's a huge log jam. And I just don't know how you, you make more than a, a one player for a draft pick or one player for a prospect, like how you end up making multiplayer trades in this climate is, 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 foreign to me well and it the Bruins were able to do it last year at, at the deadline they pulled off some stuff we were not expecting and and like specifically with DeBrusque though I can't think of a name on another team that's going to be a seller that like that comes to mind immediately when you're when you're thinking of okay we're, we're gonna that would be an upgrade over DeBrusque and we would somehow be able to pull it off in terms of uh, bringing their their salary in and bringing and giving away probably something else to because you you can't just give away DeBrusque and get an upgrade. You also would have to be trading something else in a package for for that player. Right. It, it, you know, it's like you could go to I don't know Jordan Eberle in Seattle is the guy we just saw, but you know if he's an upgrade over DeBrusque, it's fairly marginal. You could look at uh, Tyler Toffoli in Calgary as a name that's been out there, but again, like I don't know why Calgary is taking on DeBrusque unless that there's an extension in place. So, so, so let's let, let's ask that question. I'll ask you guys that question. Do the Bruins need to sign Jake DeBrusque by the deadline? Does that matter? Does do they have to have something in place to to feel confident that they're not losing him for nothing? I feel like they need to do it for either way. Like whether they want to trade him or keep him, they need to sign him before they need to extend him before that. Because if they want to keep him, um, then it it seems like the perfect time. You you know what you're getting. And and he's probably going to take less than what he thought he was going to get at the beginning of the year, because it's been a little bit of an up and down year for him, despite him. Like we said, even though 
he has had fewer points than he probably wants, still has played pretty well this season. Um, So you want to get that done. And it does also make him more valuable to a team that's not a, not a, a seller. Like, I mean, not a, not a buyer. Like you're looking to trade a roster player to a team that wants someone for the future. And he becomes a player that you can keep in the future. If he has the term on the contract. Yeah. I think, I think Jake DeBrusque probably loved it when, when people were making comparisons to the contract Brandon Hagel signed in Tampa over the summer or Owen Tippett just signed in Philly. Those guys got six to a little over six million a year. With the season DeBrusque's had, I'd, I don't think that's going to be on the table for him. So if you get him at a little bit of a discounted rate, yeah, I I think there is an upside there for the Bruins to re-sign him. Uh you don't want to risk losing him for nothing in free agency. And I also think – I think Tabruska is, is a guy that if he has that certainty, it probably helps him clear his head and play better. Uh, we saw that two years ago where he has this outstanding trade request and you don't know what the future holds. He ends up signing an extension on deadline day. And his play had already picked up a little bit before that, but he finished that season strong. And, and I do think that probably helped him having that certainty. So – it absolutely could benefit the Bruins to to get something done with DeBrusque um, before the trade deadline on on March eighth. If you're, you know, if you're ruling out trading him away and getting an upgrade, which we all seem to be on the same page of, that's going to be really difficult to do. Uh, yeah, I think getting him into a good headspace as you approach the stretch run in the playoffs uh, is important. And if you listen, like say you signed DeBrusque for. Five million million a year, and I don't know three years or something. I don't think that's a contract that's going to hurt you. Like I think that's completely reasonable. I think you're going to get solid middle six production out of them for the length of it. And if something goes sideways again, it it would be a tradable contract. So uh, I definitely think that's something worth exploring for them. Yeah, and if you really think about it, why if if you if you're the Bruins and you've already decided. You're, he's valuable for your playoff run this year. You want to keep him, and you you're interested in keeping him for for another uh, few years. Why not just get the contract done before free agency? I think that the trade deadline timing of it makes sense to to start. Um, maybe we'll start hearing talks soon about okay, conversations are heating up between management and DeBrusque on getting something done. All right, more more to get to there. More to get to another other trade possibilities. State of the team. This is Sunday Skate. I'm Scott McLaughlin with Andrew Razor-Raycroft and Bridget Prue. We're back to Sunday Skate on WEEI. Yeah, it's special. Um, you know, I, I I know how fortunate I am to, to be part of this organization and, and one organization your whole career, uh, well, at least up until this point. Um, and... and you know, that's part of what I love so much about being here is how much the fans care, how much they embrace the team. Um, you know, it, it, it truly is special and it flies by and you really have to enjoy every day and, and make the most of every moment. You don't know when it's going to be last. And, and uh, you know, I just I can't believe how fast it's already gone. And, and uh, you know, it's something you want to make last forever. But, uh, you know, we all get a shelf life. And, and uh, you know, to, to look back on it and, and see some of those memories is it's very special. You don't get them to remember every day, but uh, you know, this is one I'll remember forever. Welcome back to Sunday Skate. That is, of course, Bruins captain Brad Marchand talking about uh, his 
1,000th career game, which he reached this past week and which will be celebrated Monday afternoon before the Bruins home game against the Dallas Stars. And it's definitely worth touching on our feelings on Brad Marsh and both his career and his leadership this season as captain in his first year as captain. Uh, before we get to that quick correction from me, I said Tyler Toffoli was on Calgary. He's not. He's on, He used to be on Calgary. He's on New Jersey. He is nonetheless a name that is popping up in trade rumors as a pending free agent, depending on whether the Devils can get back in it or not. Uh, I'm Scott McLaughlin with Andrew Razor Raycroft and Bridget Peru. So let's let's talk about Marshan because this is going to be th- these 1,000 game celebrations are always great, and especially when it's a guy who's done it all with one team as Marshan has. And considering you know where his career started as third round pick that you know not a whole lot was expected from you're thinking okay let's you know hope he sticks on the fourth line as a grinder agitator type and right off the bat his first full season ends up developing into one of your most important forwards on a stanley cup winning team and then from there growing into one of the best forwards in the league for you know more than half a decade um and now you know at 35 having a bounce back season Leading the team as captain, Razor. What what do you what comes to mind when you think of Marshan? Whether it's the career as a whole or this season in particular. Well, first I'll go to the fact that this is the last thousandth game celebration this team's going to see for quite a while, and I, I, similar to all the wins that this team's had in the building, similar to all the ceremonies that they, this team's had. Uh, This is coming to an end right now. This is the last one tomorrow afternoon in Dallas because it's going to be a while. And we've had Bergeron, we've had Krejci, we've had Tuke, we've had all these guys, and and the last four years has been a lot. It's very rare. It doesn't happen often. We we even had Nick Foligno's, even though he'd spent most of his career not in Boston. He did get... Yes, he did. Yeah, that's a whole nother. Um, (laughs) So, again, this, 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 we, we need to, we need to recognize that I think a little bit and how lucky this fan base has been to be able to see these guys go through and, and pass this number with Brad. I think it's, it's not the most impressive because each and every one of these guys that get to this number are impressive in their own different ways. But, but Brad's path is as cool as any's and what he's done the the reverence he has with guys he's played with and even guys that he's played against now at this point to have gotten to this point, the respect he has for his competitiveness, for his willing to do whatever it takes to stay in the league, to be successful in this league. And I think for a guy who was playing over the edge, quite frankly, at certain times in his career and, and was not well-liked and well-received for that, for his 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 standing has changed more than any other guy who's played a thousand games maybe ever in the league from where it start to where it was at game 400 to where it was at game 800 and now a thousand um it, it's been an an incredible development and a great lesson and for all of us which is crazy that we're saying Brad Marshawn's a lesson for all of us but but it really kind of is in that you can change yourself you can through hard work and humility and uh, learning from mistakes, get better. And, and that's what Brad's done. And that's what, for me, is pretty cool. Because, again, I played against him. 
when he was a rat in 2011 and 12 and 13, whereas a guy that was really aggravating and and no way in ever you would have expected him to turn into what he is now. So a lot of respect for him for that, and, and it's really quite impressive what kind of a player he's turned himself into. Yeah, and to, to skate on his 1,000th game wearing a C on his chest is probably something most people wouldn't have thought even – I don't know, even two seasons ago, like I, I didn't even uh, he was the the obvious option in this offseason, but people around the league didn't think so. They were like because they remember the marsh on that uh, was licking people and they remember the marsh on that did something to their team along the way that they remember either being dirty or or annoying or uh, just weird. Uh, so, yeah, for him to be able to celebrate that 1000th game with the C shows you exactly how much he's changed and matured. And I mean, he became a parent a while ago. You, you could see him grow up and, and change and, and become uh, more like Bergeron, which is a good thing. You always want to see uh, people adapt to be more like Bergeron in terms of their personality and their, their leadership. And the good thing about the Bruins is they've had a lot of people that have matured that way, following in the steps of, of Bergeron over the, the past several seasons when he's been the leader and even when he even before he was captain um kind of guiding people in the right direction yeah Reza so yeah this will be the the last of the career Bruins to get to a thousand for a while yeah JVR that there yeah we will get one of those one-off ones where you have to celebrate it because it's the right thing to do but it's obviously a little different guy that played less than 60 games for your team (laughs) doesn't count the same it would be okay if he played like 500 but like the guy who plays like 60 games it's like yeah how how far away is james James van reams like is nine away he's at 991 oh so this will be soon (laughs) and shaddy could you know shaddy's like 940 or something like that he's not getting it this year he would have to be next year if he's back that's Um, right so i yeah but i think you're I mean, right. he's had a great, right. We're getting another one. He's had it, a great career, so. Yeah, and it, with Marshan, too, like, him being captain, that, Bridget, as you meant, like, that wasn't a given. You write Bergeron, it was a given. Whenever Zdeno Chara's time was up, whether it was retirement or going to another team, Bergeron was the, ne- the, the guy in waiting for a long time. And you, Marshan became that, that next guy, but you wondered if, you know, if Bergeron plays a couple more years, does it maybe almost skip over him and go, you know, directly to Charlie McAvoy or maybe David Pasternak um, after Bergeron? You know, would, would you do it if you would like? Would you give Martian a C if you thought it was just going to be maybe for one season? You know, his last year or something. And it, it's not because Marchand has said, you know, he doesn't plan on retiring anytime soon. He's he's a guy who in the past his exact comment was you're gonna have to drag me off the ice um you know now that can change right some guys just get to a point in their life where maybe they have something left in the tank but they still decide you know what this is a this is a good place to call it you know if he captains the Bruins to a Stanley Cup does that change something like so but from everything we've heard from Marsh and he definitely plans on playing at least several more years and that, that double hip surgery he had before last season was big because he's talked about how he needed to get that done if he was going to continue playing. Like, if he didn't get that done, his career was going to end end before he wanted it to. So it set him back a bit next year. He's been pretty open about how he, ne- you know, really not until almost the playoffs did he really feel like himself last season. And you see that in his numbers. He had 21 goals last year. That's that's really a down year by his standards. He's 
you know, at one point this year, he was on pace for 40. He's slightly off that pace now, but um, he's definitely on his way to getting back to those that mid-30 range that we saw from him year in, year out throughout his prime. And, you know, he – what fascinates me about Martian this year is is how he's grown as a captain too. I, I talked to him about this a couple weeks ago coming out of the All-Star break. Uh, he He felt like early in the season he was trying to – you know, he wanted to keep going what Bergeron and Char had built, but he thought he was trying to be a little too much like both of them and maybe wasn't totally being himself. And now he feels like he is. And Jim Montgomery says he's kind of seen that evolution over the course of the season where, you know, Martian's not like he's not trying to soften the blow to anyone. He he says what he has to say. He just gets to the point. And that's what he's always done. And, and I think it's taken a little while for him to realize he can still be like that as captain. He doesn't have to really change who he is all that much. No, he, t- he took it to heart. And, and of course, there's there's ways to work your way through it. He was he really wanted it. And, and any time you really want something, you probably overcompensate initially. Um, but, but again, they, they've talked about it. I think we can all see it, that, that he's a good captain. And, and he's been a, a really good leader for this team. And he will continue to be because the way he's playing now, you, you're looking at, you know, another – minimum two years, you know, there, there, there's numbers that he can still catch. I mean, he's going to get to 400 goals. Um, would not surprise me if he has 500 in his mind. Uh, there's not a lot of guys in the, in the, in the all time history of the NHL has got 500 goals. He's going to be what 90 behind, let's say, you know, at best probably. Um, so three seasons after this one, uh, you could you could try for that, and that might be a goal in his head, and that means he's around for you know thirty eight, thirty nine years old. Yeah, I mean he's only three away from four hundred right now. Um, so that I mean that could come in one game. <laughs> you could, it should. Thought it was going to come on this homestand at some point, but <laughs> yes. maybe tomorrow. I'm it's, sure. You, what have you it's been? It's a big po- party tomorrow. Yeah, I was going to say you you already got the graphics and everything ready to go on this. I'm and sure your, they are. Ringside, I, yeah, your P Dub definitely <laughs> has those built up for sure. They've been waiting for that and. Uh, I know, I know. Brad's got like I know a bunch of guys are back in town. Um, there's going to be a bunch of family, so expect a huge effort from him tomorrow. That'll be fun too. Yeah, it, it's crazy when you look at like Bruins franchise leaderboards and where he is and uh-huh. where he can get to. Like, as you said, he's at 397 goals now. A couple more years, he can pat Phil Esposito second at 459. Yeah, that that's two seasons worth of goals for him. Like, he can get to second. He has that circled for sure. Challenging Johnny Busick, not totally out of the question. Like, a little further off for sure, 545. Points, right now he's at 912. 100 away from Esposito. That's a couple seasons. Then you got Bergeron at 1040. That's within reach. Like, top three Bruins all time. Yeah, he's not going anywhere until he gets to 1040, right? Like, he's not going anywhere until he gets to 460. Like, so that's, you're talking two more years minimum. Um, it, it's similar to what Ovi, like Ovi's not going anywhere. The, he might struggle. He might have times where he slumps, but still very valuable. And he's not going anywhere until he gets these, these numbers. Yeah. And we were talking about this the other day, the Olympics are in two seasons. Like I feel like he wants you still playing that level of hockey so that he can play mm-hmm. for team Canada. No question. That's another circle for him and Sid and, and these guys that have missed out on it the last half dozen years. 
to to be able to to do that and experience that. I, I would no question that's that's above his headboard as well. Yeah, and and Martian's never been to the Olympics. He you know twenty fourteen he wasn't quite at that level to make Team Canada. Mm-hmm. He won't be there in twenty thirty. So this this is his only chance. He's been he would have easily been on the last two teams. Correct. He got robbed because the NHL didn't go. So you you know that's eating at him. Someone who has had lots of success with Team Canada aside from Olympics. You know, has won a World Cup, won, I think, two World Juniors, right? Yeah. So, you know, like, you want to round out that trophy case. He he wants that. And, and it's been a real bummer that we haven't got to watch the NHL play in the Olympics the last few times. And I've, I've said this before. It's one of the things that, like, I was, I was so disappointed with the last one. I was so, so disappointed. So, so, so were the players. I was going to say, they, imagine. A couple weeks before, they thought they were going. Yeah. yeah. And, well, and Brad them, was the most vocal. Yeah. Shocking. But he was vocal <laughs> about that, you know, because he knew that that he had a chance to to represent the country. And, and he, he definitely has... He is looking at every left winger that comes across Canada's board and trying to be better than him when he's doing his pull-ups in the dressing room, right? Like, that's that's his focus and that's his motivation. Building off this a little bit, Razor, what do you think of Bruins' team leadership overall? Obviously, they lost quite a bit with Bergeron and Krejci retiring. We think Martian's done a good job as captain. Pasenak and McAvoy step into the A's. The Bruins did go out and get some veterans, Van Riemsdyk. Shattenkirk, obviously Lucic didn't work out, but how, does this team have the lead? Like, you get to tough situations in the postseason, you feel like this team has the leadership necessary to to guide them through, uh, you know, not just regular season adversity, but the the real stuff in the spring. Yeah, I do. As, as much as anyone does, um, you look at the – Again, you, you talk to everyone outside of Boston, and the first thing they say is culture and accountability about this group. So I, there's no question that they have that in the room um, with Brad of wanting one before with a few, you know, what, half a dozen guys having gone to game seven in 19. Uh, they, they have that in the room. They understand what it takes, and um, they're, they're, there's enough voices in there, absolutely, for me. That, that shouldn't be something they're focused on. They always have that culture in mind when they're bringing players into this room, how they're going to fit. But that's not the first thing above size or, or ability is, is getting a guy with leadership. I don't think this team needs that. No. And, and as people that get to speak to the players, we, 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 we have a better idea of what people are actually like their, their personalities, you know, um, what kind of leadership qualities they might bring and be able to communicate because we we get to see them answer questions um and we ask them about the same thing so I feel like people might not understand that Charlie Coyle is a great communicator and has been helpful to players like Trent Frederick um Brandon Carlo has become somewhat of a leader on the back end and he's very um smart with his his responses to us about a lot of things and and there are just players around the lineup that are, are able to take accountability and hold their other teammates accountable and, and that adds to the leadership it's it's everybody's kind of doing a little bit of it yes yeah there, there's a bunch of guys in there yeah kind of comes back to you know where we started the show which is the, the questions are are on the ice and they're in in the mm-hmm. lineup with personnel and uh get into one of the texts we we you know tying into this how do the bruins improve net defense so that this is interesting because this is an area that jim montgomery has before the All-Star break, he was asked, you know, what areas do you still want to see your team improve? The only thing he said, the first thing he said, 
was net front defense. So you know that's a priority for him because it's the first place his mind went. And this was a problem in the playoffs last year. It's been a problem at times this season. Uh, They have, you know, they are giving up some high danger chances. Um, Goalies have, have bailed them out at times. And you look at their lineup and you you wonder, you know, do they have that personnel internally or do they have to go get something? Because I I got a little bone to pick with Derek Forbert because I... I knew we were getting to this. I, you're winding up to this. Yeah. So yesterday, you know, every time Derek Forbert's in the lineup, people are tweeting, why is he in the lineup? Why is he in the lineup? Well, why does Montgomery keep playing him? I pointed out that I think the reason he remains in the lineup is because whatever his faults are, statistically, analytically, he has been good at net front defense. The Bruins give up fewer high-danger chances when he's on the ice than they do with any other defenseman. If you look at those like shot heat maps that some some fancy stats sites have, <laughs> the net front when Forbert is on the ice in the defensive zone is all blue. That's a good thing. That means teams aren't getting chances there. But Forbert has other shortcomings, and we've seen some of them pop up. We know he's not mobile, so can can he be an everyday player? Is, like, is his roster spot safe, or should they be looking for something else there? Well, we need long, big defensemen that need to stay in the lineup, and that's Derek Forbert. I I I, I don't see how that translates. So when you, you can't say you want more big defensemen, and then at the same time say Forbert needs to come out of the lineup because that's exactly what big strong defensemen do is what Forbert does. It's some, it's not pretty. It, it can be ugly at times. He made a bad decision going a strong side on the backhand of boards. You see Marshand out in front of that. He's waiting for that little chip behind the net. Marshy's going to go get it. They're going to go out of the zone. They're going to come out of the box. It's going to be a six on five empty net goal game over, but he made a bad decision yesterday. And also because he's the left defenseman, when the puck's on the right side, he's got to be the front of the net. He comes all the way up the wall. That's what leaves Kopitar in front of the net all alone as well. So it, it's an all-around ugly play, all-around spotlight play for Derek Forbert. But the reality is we're calling and clamoring and people are texting and calling and we need bigger defense. And we need, well, again, similar to DeBrusque, we're getting rid of DeBrusque and not filling a winger spot and forward top six because we want more scoring. Similar is we're getting rid of Forbert for who? Where are the other big defensemen? Like any of these top contenders would want a Derek Forbert in their lineup. Now, it doesn't mean you can't get another guy to help him with different situations and playing time and ice time and putting him in the right situations. But um, for me, Derek Forbert's kind of the least of, of everyone's concerns. He is what he is. He does a very good job, like you said, on the heat map. He's going to make mistakes as well. He's not hes not Charlie McAvoy. He is what he is, and, and I think he does a pretty good job at that. Yeah, and it, I mean, and he's his main thing has been he's good on the penalty kill. He's, he's a shot blocker. That's actually how he gets injured every once in a while. Yeah. And I'm sure as a goalie, you appreciate well, those yeah, things. Well, I, yeah, I, I do have a soft spot for guys like that because I know how important they are and, and how those are the guys that people point fingers at first. But inside the room and as a goalie, I, I I want that guy more than I want the guy than than Quinn Hughes who gets a hundred points. Like I, I he doesn't do anything for me defensively. Yeah, Derek so, Forbert does. So then my question is, for so and he's not getting traded, right? He, Derek no, no. Forbert is not getting no, no. traded. There's not really 
He might have more value than everybody else if he was if they did want to trade him. That's that's what's ironic. You can get a first round pick for Derek Forbert, possibly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess it, it like depends. if the Bruins were out of the playoffs right now, Derek Forbert would be on the top twenty five list of every trade watcher around the country. He would. I'll, it, I'll just say if I if I can get a first round pick for Forbert, I I would make that trade, and then I'll <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll turn around and go find something else. But oh wow. <laughs> Yeah, oh, you're going to flip it? Okay, well. Yep. Um, (laughs) All right. You cut me off in my question, which was, um, if obviously we don't think he's going to get traded, is he someone that stays in the lineup over you bring in a new guy? or like Think about how many defensemen they have right now. They're rotating Wotherspoon and Shattenkirk out. They have Mason Lorai potentially coming back at some point, but but where does that leave forward in terms of the, like, a rotation? Um, Because... you're right. They they're gonna want him in the lineup, especially for certain matchups. But he last playoffs wasn't a certainty to play um, in in every game that series. Yeah, Bridget, you you and I can definitely get into this more in the final segment. Razor, I know you have to run. So any any parting thoughts from you as far as no. forward defense? No, no, just in general. Let's 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 enjoy the run. Let's enjoy the adversity. Let's enjoy getting on this team a little bit, but but also. Enjoy the fact that they have 75 points in 55 games, and we get to talk about them next Sunday. I Good start, to, crew. I wanted Good to start. ask you about the goalie interference. Oh, I forgot to gosh, bring it up. No. Oh, that's, I, I don't have another hour to do that. <laughs> okay. no, sorry. <laughs> All right. Razor's got to run. Me and Bridge will be back for our last segment after this. This is Sunday Skate on WEI. All right. Welcome back. Final segment of Sunday Skate. Razor had to run. But we've replaced him with Christian Arcand. Equally athletic, uh, equally well, knowledgeable about uh, the Bruins <laughs> in the NHL. I'd say that's all. It all checks out. So. Same save percentage and goals against average. It's like Razor never even left, really, is what it's like. <laughs> How you guys doing? So, show sounds great, by the way. Thank ah, you. Thank you. Uh, we're, we're doing great. Uh, Christian, it's coming up next, so stick around. Sunday Mass. Uh I'm opening my sermon with some not kind things about the Bruins, just so we're <laughs> just so All you right. know, just so you're not surprised driving home. Like, oh, hey, Arkham was so nice. That's great. No, it's not. I'm I'm really down on this team right now. I'm disappointed in a lot of things right now. And I know it's Sunday, and you know it's Sunday scare. But I'm like, there's the the main uh, thrust of the sermon today is how disappointed I am in like everyone in the Patriots, the Red Sox, the Bruins. It's not the Celtics so much, but All Star Weekend. I haven't, I haven't liked that so far either. I thought the dunk contest was really bad. Like, I'm down on everything today. All right, let's let's get a preview of of what's bothering you specifically about the Bruins. Um, well, Forbert, first of all, that turnover yesterday, which you guys were just talking about, was ridiculous. Um, Martian's probably going to get suspended for that elbow, I think, um, or at the very least get fined for it. Uh, his status keeps coming back up with stuff like this, so you never really know how he's going to get punished. Like, I think something's going to happen. There was no call on the ice, but I think something's going to happen uh, because that was, I, I don't know, do you guys think that was a bad hit? I, I think he's... I think he might survive this. Yeah. He, he definitely comes up high. He gets him with – I think he might have saved himself because it's a little bit of like a forearm shiver and not a full-blown elbow. So we'll see. It it should have been a penalty on the ice. It should have been a two-minute minor, I it think. Was at, he extended. He didn't go up. Like, yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? Like he's a little guy, so that may play into it. But I just feel like 
the league office isn't going to want to hear that anymore with him. You know, it's like you should know this by now. Yeah, I, I agree with Arkan actually on this one. I thought it should have been a penalty on the ice. And, and because it wasn't, sometimes that opens it up to supplemental discipline or fines. Be, because it wasn't handled on the ice, now we have to handle it some other way. Fine, I could see. I, I would be surprised if that ends up as a suspension. Yeah, but. and uh, Arvidsson didn't get really hurt either, right? right. Like he was back yeah. out there pretty soon after. So it's probably not going to be too dramatic. But I just, uh, you know, with him especially, like why are you risking this right now? The team's floundering. Every mistake they make ends up in the back of the net. It just seems like that's been going on here for a couple weeks now. And now Martian's out there throwing elbow. Like the last thing they can afford is to lose him for any period of time. And I just feel like everything's getting kind of, it's kind of unraveling right now. I'm not, I'm not happy about that. It's funny because Razor, Razor and you would be in an argument right now. <laughs> about Razor what, about was still which part here, of that? The sky isn't falling from <laughs> Razor's point of view. And then the, the Arcan sky is falling. Uh, take. Yeah. And, I, and I'm probably somewhere in the middle of those two where I don't think the sky is falling. I think these last three games, there's, there's been a lot of good things, but that the Saturday loss of the Kings to me in particular is concerning because it's some of the same issues that keep popping up. You know, we touched on not holding leads. Special teams continues yeah. to struggle. Um, you know, they do get a power play goal yesterday, snapped an 0 for 15 slump, but in general, power play has just not been moving the, the, the puck quick enough, too stationary. Penalty kill, you're now going on like a couple months of that. Yeah. Not being up to snuff and – that for so Again, many years forward. has always been a strength. But, yeah, yeah, and in another area where you know, in theory, Forbert should be a positive contributor, and he has been in the past too. It's not like yeah. he's never contributed there, but th- I mean, in this stretch in particular, what That's- do you think the worst loss of the stretch has been? By the way. Oh, Washington. Washington? Yeah, I would say Washington. I think it was the Kraken loss. I, I mean, the Washington one was bad, and they got booed off the ice and everything, but like. The if, Kraken coming in here and doing that, I thought the, that was supposed to be their get-right so game. And instead I'm, I'm they actually the, op- the Kraken loss bothers yeah. me the least. Because, really? Yeah. Because I think they played the best, and I, that one I can chalk up to they ran into a hot goalie. Joey Decord that was a, yeah, stood was on good. his head, played out of his mind. We are, at, we are at our end here on the first Sunday skate of the season. As we've said. We that got, didn't bother you, that game? Ugh, that game bothered no, me. No, I mean, there's we had a whole discussion about good losses versus bad losses yeah. and, and the Washington one was Washington was bad, bad. It it was, I mean that was pretty yeah. bad but, and, and, I mean, and LA on Saturday bothers me home for, stand from hell is what this is yeah mm-hmm. well the good news is they get a chance to sell <laughs> more try. Against, against one of the hottest teams in the NHL yeah, the Dallas Stars <laughs> they'll so. probably beat them right <laughs> yeah I mean that their one win they smoked Vancouver true yeah. the best record in the league so it's true who knows you can't you, you can't predict hockey